Welcome, Fellowship Mosaic. Would you all stand with us in worship?
every victory. In every victory, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe than any comfort. Than any comfort, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe more than all riches. Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. Oh, our souls declaring, our souls declaring. tonight, friends. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, my name is Colin. I serve here with our community team and teaching team. Hey, go ahead, turn to someone next to you. If you haven't yet, say hey to them. Make sure you know their name. Go ahead. A handshake's cool. Let them know you're glad they're here. Hey, and uh, just a few things. We call this time our body life. Some of the stuff we got going on in our body. Hey, you're welcome to take a seat for a moment. You're welcome to sit. You don't have to sit through me or stand through me. Um, hey, if you're brand new, I cannot encourage you enough to follow this link. Or if you're uh, unplugged and you've been at Mosaic for a while and are connected, um, everything that's happening in our body is available at that website or you can text that number. We wanna know you and uh, we're really glad you're here. Next, uh, we will be observing communion tonight. And so um, back there at the t uh, door, no shame if you didn't grab it on the way in, but go ahead and grab it now because uh, you'll want it later. Um, so if you didn't get the elements, it's at the back doors. You can see it there in the center on the table. Uh, and we're gonna hold those elements throughout the service and we'll take and eat together uh, in conclusion. Uh, next, this one's gonna be fun. Who's ready to swim this Wednesday night? Oh, that was weak. Who's ready to swim this Wednesday night? It's going to be a good time. Uh, hey, anybody and everybody is welcome. When we say family, what we don't mean is just those of us with little kids. This is a spiritual family. And so regardless of your season of life or, or where you find yourself, married, single, divorced, widowed, kids, no kids, uh, new to town and family visiting, this is a spiritual family. And I don't know about you, but families that play well, Stay well. And so come play with us. This Wednesday night, uh, we're gonna be over at the uh, Aquatic Center in Springdale. It's gonna be a good time. Next, uh, our community board out in the foyer. Uh, has anybody reached out to somebody yet? Okay, some hands, some hands. Um, one of the things we did this summer is some of our small groups will, will take time and, and they'll either rest or they'll play. And so we just put a board out in the foyer what is normally our small groups board. And we just had people fill out things they would like to do with other people in our church. And so there's eating queso and studying the Bible is one. Uh, my wife put inviting me to your pool with my kids. She doesn't have one. So she, if you want Aaron to come swim at your pool, you're welcome to. Nick's playing board games. Uh, Nick Rowland invited anybody anywhere to play board games. But hey, if, if you haven't yet, I encourage you on your way out, check out the board and text someone this week. Because uh, again, we just wanna be a, a body of Christ that knows one another, uh, whether you've been here for a long time or you're brand new. 
I would welcome you to that. And uh, lastly, uh, we, we wanna be a church who doesn't just do good things in this place. We wanna be a church that does good things in our city and in our world. And this is a really great opportunity where a lot of kiddos getting ready for back to school. I was in a store just the other day and already, I don't know if you've seen it, the, the pencils and the markers and the notebooks are all coming out. And one of the things we want to do is bless the community center with donations. And so uh, there's gonna be some bins um, in the foyer on uh, July 18th. And uh, we would love, love, love for you to join that as well as they're gonna have a packing event on July 30th. Um, So if you'd like to, again, follow our news page and you'll find everything. And uh, lastly, we got a a very special friend teaching uh, in God's word tonight, um, Josh Pankey. Um, Josh works with our Celebrate Recovery team here on Friday nights, the CR team, uh, as well as Josh is one of our community group leaders and small group leaders, and and he's invested much, not only in Fridays in this space, but as well as to this body. And we're excited tonight as uh, he leads us in God's word as we continue our series in John. And uh, I don't know if anyone's given you the opportunity yet today, but I would love to just give you a chance to take some deep breaths in and out. And uh, we're gonna enter back into a time of, of praying in and through song and celebrating who God is and what he's doing in our lives. But as we do, could we just align our, our thoughts and our hearts on Jesus with this passage in Hebrews and uh, take it in slowly. We're not in a hurry. Let's enjoy some good time with one another and our triune God tonight. Would you read now with me and take in what the author of Hebrews has to say about our great high priest.
is paid. Sing it, church. join with me in leading this as we posture our hearts in a place of generosity and giving. Oh, Father, giver of all, every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask you to accept these gifts and use them to your glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. As you multiplied the offering of fish and loaves, multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. We give freely and not under compulsion, for all we have is yours, Lord. Nothing we could give could match your great gift to us, your son and your spirit. Amen. Come to the end of 
would you remain standing as we invite Larry Shu, one of our leaders, up for the reading of Scripture. I'm Larry, and my wife uh, is Diane, and we are leaders in a community group for Mosaic. Tonight, our scripture is taken from John 12, verses 1 through 8. Now hear the word of the Lord. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those resting or reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief as keeper of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And the people said, this is the word of the Lord. You all can have a seat. Good evening, Mosaic family. I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with lust, codependency, food issues, and lots of other things. And my name's Josh. Everyone, uh, I don't know how you're feeling at the end of your Friday, but I heard the end of your Saturday. Wow, where am I? <laughs> at the end of your Saturday, but I have a question for you. Uh, if you could add hours to your day, how many would you add? I've asked this question to several people, and no one knows what I'm talking about. So here's what I mean. There are 24 hours in a day. And if you could have more than 24 hours in a day, how many, what would the perfect amount of hours in a day be? So I've spent a lot of time thinking about this really dumb thought exercise. I think there's two options, one 30 hours or 36. And the reason why is I don't think you can get rid of the increments of six, uh, but I also don't want to lose the increments of 12. But more than anything, what I find over and over again is by the end of my day, I didn't have enough time. Does anyone else experience this? Your weekend's already halfway over and you've decided to come to church and now there's so many other things that you have to take care of because time just keeps slipping away. So how many hours for you would it take to have the perfect day to take care of all the things that you need to take care of and that would make you finally happy? Because you spend eight hours hopefully or potentially at work eight hours sleeping, and with the remaining eight hours, you probably spend something like three of those at food. And then some of you have children, and the remaining five hours are just gone. Where does this time go? And the most frustrating thing about time is it just doesn't quit. It pulls us along, and all the tasks that we have and the lists we make just save for the next day. And you guys are here tonight because some of you believe that there is a spiritual life to be had, and many of you in this room believe that life is found in Jesus Christ. So my next question for you is, how in the world do you and I find this abundant life in Christ in this chaotic flow of life, in this chaotic flow of time? Tonight, we're going to try and answer that question by looking at the book of John as we've been looking for a while now. We've been in a series on John here at Mosaic for a couple of months, and normally we go chronologically through a book from chapter one to the very end, but this time we've been going through three movements. We've been observing the, the seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the book of John. These are statements of Jesus declaring his deity, that he is equal with God. 
And then we took some time and looked at seven miracles that Jesus performed in his earthly ministry, where he met people exactly where they're at and declared the coming kingdom of God, declared who he was. And finally, we're in a series on the seven encounters. These are seven encounters in the book of John where Jesus meets people like you and like me. And I really like the way that Matt Natzel, our family ministry pastor, explained this. The same Jesus who encounters these people is the same Jesus who wants to encounter us. A great way to frame these encounters is John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You see, in all of these encounters, these people are invited to experience the abundant and full life that is found in Christ Jesus. And we'll find to various degrees how these people respond to those invitations. They respond to what this, uh, this abundant life in Christ looks like. And on that same note, we believe that you here in the room with us tonight are invited to experience abundant life in Jesus and have a response to make, have a, a claim that you have to deal with whether or not he is who he says he is and why does that matter? Tonight, we're gonna to be looking at this encounter of Mary at Bethany that we just read in John chapter 12. And I have an insatiable hunger for alliteration. So this is how we're gonna do it. We're gonna be looking at Jesus's faithful friends. You see, we have the entire family of Bethany, the Bethany family encounters Christ in one way or another, responds in different ways. And then we're gonna follow a pragmatic protest from Judas and his own encounter with Jesus. And then finally, we'll see Christ's correction and I'd love to, to end our time together revisiting that question, how do you and I find abundant life in Christ Jesus in this chaotic flow of time? So turn with me back to John 12. We're gonna start in verse one. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, when, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus's honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So this event occurs directly after chapter 11, if you'd believe it. But in chapter 11, we have Jesus meeting this family in Bethany, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And Lazarus has died. And so he meets Mary and Martha in the middle of their grief, and mourns with them. And then in the most wonderful and powerful and strange way, he raises Lazarus back to life. And what we find is immediately after this, that the chief priests are planning the death of Christ. So when John says six days before the Passover, he's not saying that as just some details to give us, but to clue us in that we are coming to the end of Jesus's earthly ministry. Because at this Passover dinner, at this festival, when he reenters Jerusalem, he will be betrayed and turned over and he will die. So right off the bat, this story, we have Jesus's death and his crucifixion looming for us. But right at that moment of his, the end of his earthly ministry, we also have this really cool moment. He gathers closely to his friends. You see the savior that we talk about is someone that's a lot like you and me in those dark moments of his life. Who better to be around than the people that love him and that he absolutely loves? And so he returns to Bethany and we find these faithful friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And Martha, it says, Martha serves. What we know about Martha from throughout scripture is she is an absolute doer in every meaning of the word and has this gift of hospitality. So Martha serves, we don't get all the details, but we have to imagine there's a meal to be prepared. And so she's busily taking care of that. And there's seats to be set up and people with arrangements to be made. And so she's busily taking care of all these different parts of the meal. And then she has to make sure that everyone is, is in a good place. You have what you need, all of these different things. I don't know if you've ever been to someone's home who has the gift of hospitality, but these people know how to make you feel right at home. And so in Mary's, or excuse me, in Martha's encounter here with Jesus, she serves him by operating out of this gift of hospitality, by loving everyone in the room and making sure everything is exactly where it needs to be. We also have Lazarus reclining at the table. And I love how Charles Spurgeon talks about this. He talks about this as him bearing testimony to Christ. 
So again, Lazarus, recently dead, now alive, is sitting at this table as the meal is being prepared, bearing witness to what Jesus has done. And I've spent a lot of time over the past few months just wondering, what do you talk about? After you've been raised from the dead, what do you talk about over dinner? I was just at lunch at my in-laws and we spent a lot of time lamenting restaurants that have been closed in the Bentonville area. Anyone know Montana Mike's? Yes. But this is probably not what Lazarus is spending time talking about. No, you see, Lazarus has been raised to life. He was dead and now he's alive and this is what he bears witness to. In fact, later on in the passage, the chief priests gather together and plot his own death because his testimony is so powerful. Because when you see a man that was once dead and is now living, you have to reckon with the person who raised him from the grave. You have to reckon with whether or not this Jesus really is Messiah, really is King, really is the Son of God. And this sounds like something that's a really powerful way to serve And maybe it's hard for you to imagine how you could serve in the same way, but Lazarus' story is the same story that you and I have put your faith in Jesus have experienced. Scripture tells us that we were dead in our sin, dead in our brokenness and the brokenness of this world. But God who is rich in love made us alive through Christ Jesus. You see, the story of what God has done in your life is a powerful thing that bears witness to who God is and who Christ is. In the same way that that had to be reckoned with with Lazarus, that's something that in our world and our spirit, when we share that, it has to be reckoned by other people. When they see our lives and see us living in this abundant life, they have to ask the question, is Jesus who he says he is? So we see Mary and, or we see Martha and Lazarus serving in this way. And then we see Mary's encounter. So Mary, in, in probably the hardest one to contextualize, takes a pint of pure nard. If you're American, a pint, don't worry about it. It's a lot of nard. And again, if you're American living in 2022 and you hear nard, and that doesn't sound like a great thing, it is a perfume of beautiful aromatic Indian spice. Later on, we're gonna find out this is about a year's wages. She takes this precious spice this precious perfume, and she uncorks it. The scholars that study this says, once you open that, you can't close it again. And she dumps the contents at the feet of Jesus. And if that wasn't as ostentatious or just as ornate or extravagant of an action by itself, she undoes her hair and wipes his feet with her hair. This, I can understand that hospitality and even, even the idea of a testimony in my life, but I don't, I had the hardest time understanding exactly what's happening here. This is something beautiful, something extravagant, but definitely something that I have a hard time understanding. So let's go up a a ladder in the ladder of abstraction and take a look at what we know about this, uh, this action of hers. One, we know that this action from Mary is a costly action. Later, we're gonna receive, receive from Judas a declaration. This could have been a year's wages. This was expensive. Her sister has, has her hospitality and her brother has his story of life change. And so Mary takes the most priceless thing she has in the room and she pours it at Jesus's feet. We also know this action is a humble action. Just a chapter earlier in, verse, in chapter 11, we saw Mary at the feet of Jesus mourning the loss of her brother. Lord, Lord, if you'd only been here, he wouldn't be dead. And now she's at his feet, worshiping him and responding to what he's done. This is a humble and beautiful action. She could not be lower. And this is the, this is the posture that Jesus takes for us. No matter how low, or, how low we bring ourselves, he has brought himself even lower. This is an intimate response. Jesus is someone she believes is Messiah, but has also called himself her friend and has also called herself worthy to meet her in her home and encounter her. And then finally, one of the really beautiful notes of this story, this blesses everyone in the room because that fragrance doesn't just stay at the feet of Jesus. It's something that spreads in the room and everyone smells that beautiful scent of that perfume. 
You see, I think when we gather here for worship, we can fall into the, the trap of believing that what we're doing here and how we're responding is only between us and the Lord. And there is that beautiful, intimate part of that. But one of the wonderful things that we do in worship is that we celebrate together what God has done. And all of this is for the glory of the Lord, but it blesses our friends and our neighbors and people that don't know the Lord when they see us responding to what he's done in our life. It fills the room and everyone is blessed by what Mary has done. The siblings of Bethany, though, aren't the only ones who encounter Christ in this story, in this chapter. Mary's faithful display of devotion is met by a pragmatic protest from Judas. Follow with me in verse 4. One of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So Judas immediately denounces this act of devotion. Poured it all at his feet. That was worth so much. That is such a waste. And it can be really, really easy to know who Judas is and how he responds and know that we were clued in that this is the wrong response. But is he really wrong? A year's wages in a jar in the middle of the living room and you just dumped it at this man's feet? It's gone. What a waste. What an absolute waste. You see, John is cluing us in again because looking, looking back as he's sharing this story, he knows who Judas is and knows the content of his character and knows what he's about to do. And so we see that Judas is this mix of motivations. We hear the pragmatic response, but we know deep in his heart, there's this conflict of, of greed. And so we have to dig a little deeper to understand how we can deal with Judas. But before we hear what Christ says about it, I challenge you to not write off this response because I know in my life, I feel it really close to home. Do any of you like naps? I don't love naps. I also have no children, so I'm not nearly as tired as some of you are. I don't have a lot of hobbies, so I don't take a lot of naps, but have you ever tried to lay down for just a short nap and then started thinking about all the things you have to take care of? I know I've experienced this where I lay down for a 15 minute nap and then I just think of all the things I need to do and then I have to get up. And so I spend the rest of my day fatigued and tired because I didn't get the rest I needed. You see, in a sense, that nap was really pragmatic until it bumped into all of my anxieties and fears and things I was concerned about. I think similarly, in my walk with the Lord, any act of devotion for me is I'll set aside time, whether it's time in community or time just in prayer and scripture or time out in service, and then I'll start thinking of the things that I have to take care of outside of that and realizing how much time I'm wasting in those moments. So that time in scripture might move from 15 to 10 minutes or that, that time in prayer may shorten or that time with, with believers may, may lead to me rushing out in different ways because I have other things I have to take care of. See, this pragmatic thing of all the things that I have to take care of tends to run against that abundant life and the life to experience with my community and the life to experience in devotion to Christ. Suddenly that encounter with Judas doesn't seem terribly unfamiliar. A year's wages just spilled at the feet of Jesus. What a waste. But let's hear Christ's correction. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Jesus is telling us that this action from Mary has a very specific purpose. He is looking forward to his death, or looking toward his death in that coming week. She's prepared for my burial. Whether or not Mary fully grasped what is to come, Jesus knows what his trip to Jerusalem has in store. And he knows what's to come and the price that he is getting ready to pay. He is preparing to walk that walk that you and I cannot, to die a death you and I deserve and stand in our place. And so in this custom, he points to what Mary has done as a, as a preparation for burial, as a preparation for his death, as anointing of what is to come. And so in this sense, what she has done, it could not be more appropriate 
Now, what we have to do as faithful readers of the Bible is make sure that we don't miss this, is that is Jesus saying that care for the poor doesn't fall into the life of a Christian? Absolutely not. What Jesus is speaking to here is a specific response at the end of his present ministry on earth. But this care for the poor and care for others is essential to the life of a believer. I think again, in our pragmatic hearts that want to be doers and want to do the right thing, we often pit this idea of devotional time and following the Lord and the spiritual life against what it looks like to serve in our communities and love Northwest Arkansas and the world for Christ. But these aren't things that are counter to one another. These are things that are fully part of a spiritual life. In fact, Barry Jones describes this as a missional spirituality. Read this quote with me. A spirituality that is not inherently missional is a truncated vision of life with a triune God. At the same time, any vision of missional life or missional church that neglects the cultivation of dynamic dependence on and intimacy with the living God runs the risk of becoming mere activism. And here, this last part, spirituality and mission belong inseparably together, like breathing in and breathing out. This beautiful picture of life in Christ is not one where you have to pick and choose these things. But the abundance of living in Christ, this missional spirituality, involves both serving and loving our community in deep and costly ways, and devotion to the Lord that is deep and costly and intimate. I don't want to draw too much attention to your breathing because then I know you'll be thinking about it the rest of the night. But have you ever just tried breathing in and breathing in and breathing in without exhaling? You know, you can't do that. You weren't designed for that. This, but this is what a life looks like when I only focus on my solo spiritual mission of just my time with the Lord and, and my good behaviors and me doing the right things. But also on the other side, when we have this heart that's geared for serving in the community and we give and we give and we give, but we never breathe in the goodness of God, we are missing out on the full spiritual life he's inviting us to experience this abundant life. You see, Christ is speaking to one specific purpose here, the specific moment with Mary, that devotion is the right thing. And in our pragmatic brains where we wanna be task-driven, we sometimes miss this call on our lives to both breathe in and breathe out the fullness of God and what he's doing. See, in these encounters with Christ, we see Mary and Martha and Lazarus responding to what God is doing and Judas refusing to, putting up a wall between himself and Christ. But we see Christ meeting them right where they're at and everyone in the room blessed by the actions of Mary. But I know if you're like me and you start thinking about devotional life and these kinds of things, your brain immediately turns to your mind, immediately turns to all the things that, and how hard it is for you to do this. Or your mind immediately comes to what tasks can I do to do a better job of this? I want to speak maybe a little deeper than that to our hearts and how we experience this, this struggle with time. Remember that first question? How do we experience this abundant life in Christ in the, the chaotic flow of time. So at Celebrate Recovery, we spend a lot of time talking about this past, present, and future. So anyone that comes to Celebrate Recovery admits to experiencing some present dysfunction. We call these hurts, hangups, and habits. These are things that affect my life and my world around me in really negative ways. But when you talk to someone that's struggling through these things, they absolutely make sense why we turn to these things. Sometimes those, that present dysfunction is tied to pain in our past. Might, might have been using drugs or alcohol or pornography to pull out of pain, to, to numb and to not experience the dysfunction around me. Or it might have been learning to please a lot of people and then if I please them, I avoid conflict and I don't have to deal with this pain. And so those patterns and those habits and those behaviors become the way we deal with the world around us today, this present dysfunction. But also know this future reality of things. You see, in the future, I don't know what it holds. And so maybe that leads to overworking. I have to provide for my family and I have to give them the life that I didn't have. And so I work and I work and I work for something that's way down the line that I'll never see. Or maybe you look to the future and it brings so much fear and anxiety and you wonder who is gonna be there 
in the future for me? Am I always gonna feel this lonely? And so in our lives, we deal with this, pre- this present dysfunction that has connected that past pain and that future fear. Because as time pulls on, we do our best to control the world around us and make our list and take care of the things we can. And we find that we're in so much less control than we realize. You see, I introduced myself as a, a grateful believer in Jesus that struggles with lust and codependency and food issues. These are patterns in my life that were built from pain in the past. And it made sense how I built these behaviors and these habits and these different things. And also connected to fears of the future. How I deal with what's to come or the unknown affects me in the present. What I found is the Christ who encountered Mary and the Christ who encountered all of these people in this book of John is the Christ who encounters me and invites me and brings healing both from my pain from the past and my fear of the future. And in this present dysfunction brings a wholeness of life that I couldn't have experienced otherwise. And that's what's so compelling about this strange and beautiful thing that Mary does is that in this moment, she meets Christ right where he is and understands who he is, who she is and what he's done. In her past, she realized that Christ has moved in unbelievable ways. She has, he has brought her baby brother, her brother from death to life. And she sees him as Messiah, as the coming king of Israel, who's gonna rescue and start a kingdom, who's gonna die for the sins of all. And in that present moment, she takes the most precious and costly thing and she breaks it at his feet and pours it out in response to what he's already done and what he is going to do. And this is what we are invited in. This is the new life we're invited to experience in Christ Jesus. You see, he, in our past, he has paid the price for yours and my brokenness. The sins you struggle with, the sins that you struggle with in your past, the brokenness of the world around you, the dysfunction of your family and your friends and all of these broken things, he has died and paid the price for that. And in the future, he has promises for us. He has promised one in Philippians that the work he's done, it's begun in your life that he will continue and see it till it's done. And then of all these things, of all the brokenness in the world, someday he is coming back to make all things new. And then here in our moment, our present life, we are invited to respond in devotion and in love for Christ who has called us his friend. So how do you and I find abundant life in the chaotic flow of time? We learn how to waste time with Jesus. What Mary understands is that despite the abundant life, and despite all the things she's experienced, abundant life is found at the feet of Jesus. And what I'm not trying to tell you is, is that this is a live by the moment and, and everything will be fine. Just, just live, live freely and don't be concerned about things. One of the worst things you can do is live your life in, in denial of that pain from the past or in denial of that fear from the future or in denial of the present dysfunction you're experiencing. What I'm encouraging you is that the same Jesus who encountered Mary in the middle of all of those things is the same Jesus that wants to encounter you. And that he invites you to bring those precious things, those pains from your past, that fear from your future, and that present dysfunction and lay them at his feet. And he invites you to come in and to bear this burden with you in the middle of your dysfunction, in the middle of all the brokenness you're experiencing. He is asking to be present in that. To close our time, tonight, I want to give us some practices for what it looks like to learn to waste time with Jesus. This week, whether it's with your community group or just in your own devotional time, uh, it's important to ask this question. What are simple ways that you and I can create these rhythms of devotion? And what would those cost you to create those? And this might involve getting plugged into community if you're trying to do this all by yourself. Or it might involve setting some things aside, or it might involve getting some help and some coaching. How do I do this? Our community team here at Mosaic are people that want to help you with that. 
And that last part is really key. What would it cost? You see, this beautiful gift that Mary laid at the feet of Jesus was very, very costly, but in that sense, very much worth what she was laying there. And so what would it cost you to lay these things at the feet of Jesus? Uh, as we're here tonight, I do want to take some time to, to process this as a community. Uh, if you're with your community group, this is a great thing we could process together as community or if with you're with your family. But if not, I, I do want to invite our prayer team to come up. And we're going to give you guys people that you could pray with about these things. Number one, what are concerns in this present moment that you have? Either from your present dysfunction or things that you are holding on to that are really hard. Is there pain from your past, your fear of your future that you're holding on to and trying to manage? Is that something you could invite someone else into to pray with you about? Then how has God been faithful in the past for you? Is that something you could share with someone else here tonight? And what promises are you hoping for in the future? And then finally, how can you respond in this moment to what God's done, what he's promised to do, and just respond tonight. If your community is around you, I encourage you to get with them and, and talk about this here in a moment. We'll give you guys some time and pray together over some of these things. And if you don't have anybody, we'll invite our prayer team up here at the front to pray with you on those things. One of my favorite passages is Matthew 11. I love to quote it a lot because I don't always believe this truth about, about Jesus. Matthew 11, he invites us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Mosaic, in this moment, could we just waste some time together in prayer to the Lord? Josh said, if you need a, a prayer team member, they'll be available on the sides. If it's uh, grabbing someone you came here with tonight and processing with the Lord and one another, if it's just sitting and you and, and God quietly wasting some time together. What is he saying out of these practices? What is he calling you into tonight? And let's just take some time now and pray. And then we'll sing. Slow me down, oh Lord, slow me down, help my heart to hear your sound, speak into my life, Lord, speak now, 
If you would stand in honor of our King. And uh, with the elements, if you would take the bread and the cup. To our divine master and friend, the body of Christ broken on your behalf so that you can rest. Take now and eat. this life with, but life and the next because of the blood of Jesus that was put on the cross on our behalf. Take now and drink. And if you repeat the refrain with us, slow me down. Slow me down, oh
Hey, if uh, you're new and want to get connected out in the foyer, in the middle booth, there's a new small group forming. There's a, an info team that would love to connect with you. Our prayer team will remain available on the sides if you need any more prayer. If there's any areas you could just join someone within that season. But as we leave, family, would you read these words with us? That let us go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And together we said, thanks be to God. We love you. Have an incredible week, friends.